We'll talk about a busy week. North Dakota over the weekend. Get back at the beginning of the week. Freshmen are moving on to campus. School year's getting started over there at the University of Montana. But Montana Grizzlies head soccer coach Chris Chitovitsky joining us for the second time this week. You heard him on Nuanez now on Tuesday. Now he's joining me for a little soccer and snow and smoke. I'm Andrew Houghton, as always. Glad to bring you some soccer and snow and smoke, the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. We're brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards. Go ahead and check out Zootown Sports Cards in the Stevens Center, 2100 Stevens Avenue. Big week for the Montana Grizzlies, and so that's why we're taking so much of Chris's time here, but we're always happy to have him on. Grizz playing MSU Billings on Thursday for the home opener, and then a big non-conference game on Sunday. Montana Grizzlies hosting Ohio State. We've got a pair of tickets for that game on Sunday. Again, Montana Grizzlies hosting the Ohio State Buckeyes, 6 p.m. at South Campus Stadium. If that sounds like something you want to check out, we've got a pair of tickets. Text us, 406-888-1029. Just text me the word soccer at some point before that game on Sunday, and we'll get you a pair of tickets to see the Montana Grizzlies soccer team take on Ohio State. It's going to be a packed house, so it's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, You're probably going to want to get there early to be sure of a seat. Just text me here at the studio, 406-888-1029. If you want those, text me the word soccer to 406-888-1029. Chris, I know you've been super busy all week, but thanks for taking some time for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to be back. It's one of my favorite conversations to have, so let's uh, have it and see what we can dig up and talk about. We'll talk a little bit about the Montana Grizzlies here, but we want to start with, Chris, of course, the other thing that happened this past weekend, you guys got two wins on the road, also the Women's World Cup wrapped up, so I want to talk about that a little bit. You mentioned you guys were on the road, you still managed to watch the final between England and Spain. Yeah, that's why I was so exhausted that day, Um, but I thought it was, uh, first and foremost, an amazing World Cup. I think Australia and New Zealand has hosted a tremendous job, like what you're seeing with the attendance numbers, uh, with the money that was made from it. It's the first Women's World Cup to you know, actually break even and not lose money. So I think so many positives from that. And then the level of soccer across the board was, I, I was excited for it. I knew it would be good. I just didn't think it would be that good. I think it debated a point that a lot of people were making going into this tournament because this is also the first Women's World Cup to expand to 32 teams. I think a lot of people were saying that was going to dilute the level of talent on the field. We were going to see a lot of uncompetitive games. Actually, the opposite. I think this was the most competitive Women's World Cup that I've ever seen. Correct, yeah. And like uh, a basic example, you've got a team like New Zealand who never wins a game, all of a sudden beat Norway, but then turn around and play Philippines and lose to Philippines. So the level of competition, like you said, across the board was good. It was, yeah, I, I feel like a almost a risky roll of the dice by FIFA to expand it, but it worked out extremely well for them. And it, it worked out really well for us, the fans watching as well, and that sort of came to, to a head this weekend. Spain and England in the final. What did you take away from that game? Spain scored in the first half. The left back, Olga Carmona, made a great run and was able to slot it into the goal for the first goal, and that stood up, even though Spain uh, had a penalty saved in the second half. England had some chances, but Spain able to win the first World Cup in team history. What did you take away from it? Yeah, just how dominant Spain can be, right? And England, too. I think they're going to be very good long-term. Both had players missing either through boycotts or through injuries. So um, what was nice about it is 
hopefully a lot of Americans watching it who are just used to watching the U.S. women's national team play and dominate in a certain style could look at that and be like, huh, that's different, right? Especially if you don't watch the men's game to see Spain play and say, I didn't know you could play the game that way, that you can keep the ball that much, that you can move the ball that much and score different kinds of goals to the traditional American way of playing. So to expose the world to a different style of play, um, and, and to have all these different countries bring in their identities to it as well. I think that's the best piece that came out of the World Cup. And then Spain, I think, uh, on the verge of a just an era of dominance right now. Well, they were incredible to watch. They looked at times like, if you're familiar with the, the Spain men's team, it's sort of at the height of their dominance right around 2010. Just the way that they're able to keep the ball and, and put pressure on teams with the ball and the way that they invite you upfield into putting pressure on them, but then the way that they're able to play through that pressure because they're just so precise and so technical and so inventive with the ball, the way they create their triangles, move out of pressure, and then suddenly they have an advantage and there's no real way to play against them. It it was really wonderful to watch. They did this with several of their best players missing, several players boycotting the team because of differences with the federation and protesting the fact that the coach was still remaining the head coach and also Alexia Puteas. I don't think she started a game at this World Cup for Spain, sort of the consensus best player in the world. It doesn't matter. They go ahead and win it anyway. And like you said, it's sort of terrifying for the rest of the world, right? Because they they have so many young players as well. Correct. Yeah. And they won, what, what was it, the U-17, the U-20 World Cup. Now this one, it's yeah, it's it's frightening because it's not at the oldest age group we're good. We've won it and dominated it with the same playing style at the youngest age group. So uh, I guess when you have a country like Spain, which is smaller than the U.S., where you can implement a certain style of play all the way through and push that through the national teams, yeah, you can become very dominant very quickly. Yeah, I'm sort of wondering how it works out now in comparison to the U.S. team because you know, the U.S. had a disappointing World Cup. They go out in the first knockout round on, on penalties to Sweden in a game that I think they were they played well and were dominating throughout, just couldn't get a goal, and Sweden ends up taking it to penalties. But I also think that looking at the way that U.S. team played and then looking at the way Spain played on the way to the final, looking at how good that England team was that met them in the final, like it's sort of a blessing in disguise for the U.S. that they didn't run up against those teams. Yeah, exactly, because then what? Are you just going to get humiliated on the day? Um, I think what the U.S., what we've always been good at is, you know, just attacking from outside of the box or getting into the box through balls and behind and stuff like that. But when you look at Spain and Japan in particular, they're very good at, instead of crossing sometimes, they'll just go into a simple pricing sequence. And all of a sudden, it's not a cross in the air, but a ball on the ground into the 18. And now somebody's laid it off to somebody who does some sort of a fancy turn and she shoots and scores. They're comfortable moving the game into the 18-yard box. I think most part for the U.S. were comfortable crossing in the air and having Abby Wambach score a header, right, back in the day. So um, it's just it's very different approach to trying to score goals and a different philosophy on scoring goals. And, again, I'm just so glad that everybody was exposed to it because even England had that philosophy at times. They were comfortable playing into the 18. While we seem to struggle with that, and it's going to force us to evolve, which is great. Yeah, England played well during the tournament as well. You know, they Spain was clearly better than them in the final, but that's a good team that England has as well. And yeah, it's so different. You're talking about the the sequences of their attacking play. 
when the U.S. gets to the touchline for a cutback on the ground, it's because, you know, Trini Rodman or Sophia Smith goes and beats two or three players off the dribble and she gets to the line herself. When Spain does it, it's, you know, they've got the fullback making the overlapping run or they're able to play a triangle sort of on that side and get somebody to the byline on the ball without having to make this huge individual effort. So it's it's interesting to watch. I wonder if, you know, my biggest thing coming out of this tournament for the United States is hopefully hopefully it's good for them, right? Hopefully it scares the national infrastructure of U.S. women's soccer to say, well, not only did we go out in the round of 16, but look, Spain is here, England is here, France is here. Yeah, it's dangerous. They've caught up and they're going to pass us if we don't change things. The U- I mean, the U.S. women's national team has dominated for years and years and years doing the same thing. And that's, that's good when exactly. it works, but now I think they, they've, they have to take this opportunity to go and make changes. Yeah, we just need to be more dangerous from different areas, which is why they, they missed Rose Lavelle in a game like that. Is Sweden sitting in a low block, which means for the people who don't understand it, they're just sitting on top of the 18-yard box and happy to defend the whole game. You need creative players like Rose who can unlock that shape. They can do something magical and play a beautiful through ball or take a shot or beat someone on the dribble and create that moment, which is special. And Spain have a ton of those players. While that, that's exactly what we cannot deal with. You can't just keep crossing the ball into the box of a bunch of six-foot-something blonde players who are going to head it out every single time from Sweden. You need something else. And we just don't have that yet. And we missed it with Rose because she was suspended for that game. So... More players who can unlock lower blocks, I think, is what we're going to need in the future because, like Nigeria showed, teams are very good at being organized now. And they can sit back, they can be organized, and they have athleticism to hit you on the counter. So unless you can unlock that block, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, all these teams have at least professional-level talent. Almost every team in the World Cup, at least they have a team full of professionals. They have a baseline of competence. They have professional coaches that, as you mentioned, can sort of put in a low block at the very least if they need to. There are no easy games anymore where you're just running through teams and the U.S. is going to have to evolve in response to that. For you institutionally, where does the U.S. go from here? Vladko Andonovsky obviously resigning after the Women's World Cup, uh, the head coach of the U.S. women's team. So we'll see what direction they go from there. But for you, what are the next steps to combat this evolution that's happening around the world? It's just going to be what what the men's national team went through, right? When they ended up losing to Trinidad and not making it to the World Cup and everybody's like, it's the end of the world and all the players are saying it and all the media are saying it. Everybody's saying it right now too, right? Oh, it's over, it's over. But it's the men's national team came back stronger because of it. We've developed a new generation of players who can play a different style of soccer. And I think it's coming through in the U.S. system too. It's just going to, we're all going to have to suck it up because it's going to take some time. And Hopefully, it takes some time when we come back better because of it, like the men ended up doing. It's just continue taking the punches, continue developing the way we have to to get to where we need to be. Uh, And so they've just got to make the right hires, put the right people in place, and it should all go according to plan and we'll be okay because there are a lot of very talented players in this country. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Not to say that the U.S. women's national team is in crisis here. I still think they're going to be one of the best teams in the world, but I think maybe that's the last time we just saw it in 2023, the last time that the U.S. women's national team is going to go into a Women's World Cup 
as clear favorites and sort of how they handle that shift is probably going to define the future of U.S. women's soccer. It's great insight from Chris Chitovitsky, who's joining us here on Soccer in Snow and Smoke. Chris, of course, the head coach of the Montana Grizzlies women's soccer team who got their season off to a great start last weekend with two wins on the road at North Dakota and at North Dakota State. The Grizzlies return home this weekend for their first two home games. Chris, to finish up from the World Cup, just tell me players, teams, tactical things that you saw that you really that you really enjoyed. Well, Spain was, again, just going into the tournament, I was excited for them. So uh, they've been just a deep-dive case study for me over the past year, and it's just been beautiful to watch them play. England's tactical flexibility to say we want to play this way. Nope, we're going to play this way. I thought that was very unique. Um, well, I shouldn't say unique. It's just refreshing to see somebody pull the trigger on it. And even during the World Cup final to say, hey, I don't like the way we're playing in this system. Let's play in a different one. Um, I thought they, they, they did a very good job changing it up that way. And then mostly even the teams that didn't necessarily do well, if you flash back four years to how they did four years ago, they were terrible, but they were better now. And so there's just, the growth of the game, the women's game across the world is so exciting to see. And the teams who may have struggled this time around will be so much better when it comes to four years down the road or eight years down the road. For them, it was just, can we be there? Can we make an appearance as the Philippines? And then, you know, and this, this generation will inspire the next one. And look at Australia. It's the same thing. The amount of money being poured into female sports in Australia now, which is already ex- exceptionally high, is going to probably double. And so over the next 16 years, I expect the Australian women's national team to be a whole lot better than what we just saw right now because the generation that they inspired is going to take them to a completely different level because that's what things like this do. How did you handle the uh, the Australia loss in the semifinal? Australia making it all the way to the semifinal, lost 3-1 to England. Did you, did you handle that one okay? Because I know that, that you were pulling for the Matildas really hard. Yeah, it was... I mean, it was it was starting to crack. You could see it in there, right? And so I definitely think at 2-1, Sam Kerr had a couple opportunities that could have all of a sudden pulled it back, and now they were going to be in it. But then, yeah, I think it's just the wheels finally fell off where they were supposed to fall off, and they, they did as much as they could. Exceptionally proud of them. Could not ask for anything else. Nothing was left on the table. Nothing was left in the tank. They ran as hard as they could, gave everything to that country, and so immensely proud. And like I said, what that's going to inspire moving forwards is similar to what we saw here in the U.S. back in 1999, right, and what that inspired. So it's a, it's an amazing moment for that country. Well, that was a great story of the tournament. Obviously, New Zealand, the other host nation, as Chris mentioned, getting the huge 1-0 win over Norway in the opening game of the tournament, and then Australia making the run all the way to the semifinals. Um, just super cool to see any players that really caught your eye that came onto your radar during the tournament. Uh, Fowler from Australia, I think, was exceptionally good. I thought she was just, uh, that's the team that I watched the most, to be honest. So there you go. I thought she was great. I was really hoping for more things out of Sam Kerr, but that injury, I think, really stalled Australia a little bit, right? And then, um, goodness, girl from Colombia, um, who am I missing? 18-year-old, she was spectacular, scored a bunch of goals for them. Who was that? Linda Caicedo. There you go, Right. I mean, there's one clip. She scores that absolutely brilliant goal and goes to celebrate right in front of the crowd, and she's dancing. And there's this Colombian guy sitting in the crowd 
who is absolutely losing his mind with joy because you have this 18-year-old team score such an incredible goal. And I thought that was in slow motion watching it. I wasn't even watching her dance, but you see this guy, and it pulled out the same passion out of him that would have happened if it was James Rodriguez doing it for the men's national team. So um, that was one of the coolest things I'd seen all tournament. Yeah, she's absolutely wonderful, Linda Caicedo for Colombia. My question to you, I've been thinking about this for a little while. What's stopping the NWSL from just grabbing all these players? There's so many players who I had no idea about coming into this tournament. Caicedo, Salma Paruello from Spain, another teenager who was one of the best players in the tournament. She was amazing. She was incredible. Even a player like, I thought, Portugal's young midfielder, Kika Nazareth, against the U.S. Really, really good. Why isn't the NWSL just buying all of these players and just becoming the greatest league in the world? And the, the outlay of money can't be too much. I don't know what these players are making on the books at you know Benfica or Barcelona or Real Madrid, but it has to be a fraction of what the top men's players are making. I want the U.S. and the NWSL to go out and bring all these players back to the U.S. so I can watch them. Yeah, I agree, and I don't know why we can't do that. Right, maybe it's salary cap stuff, and they don't want to. I also understand that there there is an internal push to try to develop American players and keep Americans here, don't lose them anywhere, and don't bring in too many foreigners. Right, but I think it's time that we spiced up the league a little bit because if you want, this is always the issue with the World Cup, right? Giant attendance, everybody watches it, everyone gets excited about it, and then when they go to the NWSL game, like three weeks later, there's only five thousand people there. Right? So it hasn't pulled across into the leagues. And if you want to pull it across into the leagues, I'm with you. Why aren't those players coming here to play? Why are they still playing at Barcelona? And why are more people leaving here to go play in Europe because of the energy that those leagues are creating? That's the scary piece. We're starting to lose players locally because they're more interested in playing in the Champions League or playing in the Premier League because that just seems to be a more attractive product than the NWSL right now. For American exceptionalism here, you know, the MLS is never going to be the best league in the world. That ship has passed so far down the road, it's just never going to be possible. But there's an opportunity here with the NWSL, and I just want the investment to be there. And I want to be able to watch these players again after the World Cup in in the USA. So something that I've been thinking about a lot. Chris, anything else from from the World Cup before we talk about you guys a little bit? No, just a spectacular event. Can't wait for the next one. And I really hope that it does, you know, bleed over into the local leagues, be it in Europe, be it over here, be it in Australia, be it in Zambia, right? Let's just continue growing this game and providing the resources necessary for countries to continue developing their players and put on another great show in four years' time. There you go. We might have some more analysis coming down the pipe for you from the Women's World Cup. I'd love to get more people's thoughts on it as we catch up with them throughout the fall. You can, of course, go back and check out our during-the-tournament coverage of the Women's World Cup. We were able to talk with a couple people who were actually over there in Australia and New Zealand watching those games. Missoula couple Jeremy and Caroline Lurgio were over there with their family. They were kind enough to give me some time, as well as the Footy Travelers, who are two guys making another podcast all about traveling around the world to watch soccer. They came on Soccer and Snow and Smoke as well. So if you're interested in what it was like to be over there in that atmosphere and watching these games, go check out 
some of our previous episodes, just search Soccer in Snow and Smoke on whatever podcast platform you favor. Chris, the big news for this weekend, the Grizzlies are back in Missoula, and you guys have two great games to get the home schedule started. MSU Billings on Thursday, and then Ohio State coming to Missoula to play you guys on Sunday afternoon. We talked about this a little bit on Nuanas Now the other day, but just how excited are you to be back in Missoula and to get in the, season, the home schedule started? Especially after being gone for so many days, right? Wednesday to Sunday night, I felt like we were gone for an eternity. And so seeing their energy on campus, their students moving in, people showing up to games, it just made me really excited to come back and feel that for ourselves. So I'm glad we were on slightly different schedules because apparently everybody in North Dakota is already starting school this week while we get to come back, steal the freshmen, meet people like that, bring them out to games, and then school will start next week. But we're anticipating a massive crowd on Sunday and a pretty decent-sized one on on Thursday, too. Yeah, for people who uh, this is going to be their first exposure to the team this weekend, you guys had, and I know you would say this too, a disappointing season last year. You guys had won either the regular season or tournament championship every year that you had been here before last season. And even though you guys had had a lot of experience coming back last year, you fell off and you weren't able to win either of those championships. How did you approach this year following last year's disappointment? Uh, you just got to take all the lessons from last year, right? And how do we start improving off the field? How are we improving on the field? Um, how, are we, how are we building the roster for the future was an important thing as well. So um, adding a couple transfers I thought was necessary, but then also starting to give playing time to some of our younger players like I think if anybody comes to watch this week, if you watch Reeve Borseth play in the back, she's a sophomore and she's outstanding right now. She's potentially our best player coming out of both of those games just now over the week. So um, a lot of good stuff going on um, just because we've almost rejuvenated the squad with new energy and some new ideas, and it's, it's a really good time to be a part of the program right now. Yeah, turned over a lot of the roster. You guys brought in some transfers. The names that people... We'll remember from last year or the last couple of years, Delaney Lou Shore is back at striker uh, after leading the Big Sky Conference, actually, in goals last season. Still just a junior this year, really came into her own as sort of a target forward last year, somebody who's, who's just about six feet tall and able to use her size in the box for her headers, for back post runs. I really thought she took a huge step forward last season. There's also Skyly Thompson on the wing, the Kalispell product. And then in midfield, Mesa Walters, Sydney Haustein are names that people will recognize from last season. Those are big parts of the team, but you also went out and, like you said, brought in a bunch of transfers. Tell me about some of the new faces who are going to play a big role this year. Yeah, uh, if you look at the outside back position, Mia Parkhurst, is uh, she came out of Georgia, right? So an SEC program, somebody I recruited a while ago. Ends up picking Georgia, didn't work out, so she ends up transferring here. And Mia is, I mean, she has SEC athleticism to her. Um, if she hits you on the field, you're going to feel it. Uh, she has SEC speed of play. She understands things um, on a completely different level at times. And let's, she, still, she has three years of eligibility. So as, as exciting as it is to watch Mia play now, realize that she's still technically, quote-unquote, a sophomore when it comes to playing experience. So... Um, and she didn't play that much at Georgia, so she's still going through some lumps and bumps. But even with that, she is exceptionally impactful um, and knows what's going on. So thrilled about her. 
let's see, Hazel Joke uh, was still working through some shoulder stuff where she, she had to get that shoulder fixed over the spring, and so she's working back to full fitness right now. Abby Gerhardt was a very good player at Bucknell, their female student athlete of the year, her senior year. Uh, 13th in the nation for goal for, for game-winning goals her senior year at Bucknell as well. Two back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. I mean, she is tremendous. Uh, got hurt in the Air Force game, so she's finally coming back into playing this week. So hopefully up and running fully by the time we get to um, our Sunday game. And I know I'm missing someone. Audrey Teague, right? Audrey Teague is a Division II transfer out of Regis. Took a kind of a roll of the dice, but I got this email, watched her play on film, and I thought, you know what? She just knows how to score goals. Exceptionally physical, dangerous in behind, can smack the ball if she has to, and the most amazing, hardworking personality. And it's wonderful to get 50 or seniors to come in sometimes who have that much experience and knowledge and can start giving it to people like a Delaney and a Sky and an Eliza and even a Caleb who are younger. But, hey, lean on me a little bit. I've done this before. Let me help you get better. And so love the transfers that we have because they've definitely elevated everything in this program. Yeah, I like the way that you guys sort of went to all levels to to bring in those players. I mean, often coaches are just bringing in players who they have connections with, and you can sort of tell what the pipeline is, but you went out and got two Power 5 transfers, Mia Parkhurst and Hazel Dirk at the back, and then, as you mentioned, Abby Gerhardt from Bucknell, which is a program that's really similar to yours, a good mid-major, uh, and mm-hmm. then Audrey, Audrey Teague from, from a lower level. So that was super interesting. I thought Mia Parkhurst was really good in the exhibition game that I watched you guys against Air Force, which she won 2 nothing in that game, so that was a nice preseason win. I thought she she knew where to be on the field. I thought, like you said, the speed of the game. Clearly she had been there before. I think another big name for this team, it's been a huge narrative the last couple of years because you had to replace Claire Howard in goal, and Camelia Zhu came in and was all-conference caliber right off the bat, and then Camelia Zhu transferring in the offseason to Minnesota. You guys have another young keeper you're excited about, and it's a local kid in Ashland Vorak. Yeah, Ashlyn is, I mean, she was emailing me since the time I took the job in 2018. One of the coolest photos she has, it's her and, and uh, Eliza Bentler sitting in the, in the locker room when they're 12 years old. So she's had Grizz pretty much tattooed on, her, on her heart and her soul for years now, ever since she was a kid, um, has always wanted to be here. And goodness, if you are in a training setting with us, and you listen to the way that she talks, and you just watched her body language and the bravado and the confidence she walks around with, you'd be like, that must be like one of your senior leaders, I feel like. No, just a redshirt freshman. Uh, She is going to be special over time, and let's give her grace as she learns things over this year right now, but there's there's so many good things happening for Ashlyn right now, and I'm very excited for, you know, who she's going to be in the future and who she's going to be for us right now, because even now, she does things in practice that just absolutely blow every single one of us away where you don't want anything to do with her. But, yeah, she's she's special, great person to get to know, and I think everybody who watches her play is going to love her. The other sort of more tactical roster-building thing that I wanted to ask you about that struck me when I saw you guys against Air Force, I was sort of wondering coming into the season how you were going to put together the three-person midfield in that four-three-three that you guys are running, and I just, I just sort of want to ask you how you arrived at the solution. But it looks like Maddie Ditta at the six, or Maddie Ditta is sort of the the more defensive-minded of the three midfielders. Yeah, <laughs> um, it just worked out. I, I saw some things in the spring, and Ditta sometimes 
Um, if you move a higher up the field, it just takes a little bit longer to process the decision that has to be made to slip in the final ball. So all of a sudden she's mistiming things. Well, if you put her at the six, the game's a little bit slower. It can be a little bit simpler. Um, and those are things that she is brilliant at. She is just very, very good at them. And so it's a, it's a natural role for her. Plus she's good out of the air. Uh, so I think Maddie is just born to be in that spot for us anyway. Yeah, it was interesting to me because she's a player who last year, I mean, she's she's very young still, so she was breaking into the lineup last year, but she was playing a little bit higher up the field last year, right? She scored an incredible goal against, I'm forgetting who, but she scored an incredible yeah, goal. Yeah, Idaho State. Yeah, so I, I thought she was sort of somebody who you were going to be working in higher up the field, but now to see her coming in and now she's behind Sydney Housedean and Mesa Walters, and you're hoping that gives those two a little bit more freedom, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And she's got the athleticism to cover ground and just make things happen. So no, really excited having Maddie in there. And then the, the competition for her becomes Kathleen Aitchison because Kat was off for a little bit because of an injury that was picked up over the summer playing summer soccer. But uh, Kat's performance against NDSU, I thought was insanely solid. Um, and she is back up to full speed again. And so I'm sitting here as the person who oversees the entire midfield unit thinking, where am I putting Bella O'Brien? Where am I putting Kat? And then I've got these two younger players in Emma Pasco and Perrin Pennington who are doing quite well in practice too, but how, how are they finding playing time when you've got Sid in there, Mesa in there, Ditta in there, Kat and Bella, of course, also doing well. It's um, I'm spoiled when it comes to talent and health right now in that midfield. Yeah, and then last one, sort of higher up the pitch, it seems like the forward rotation is a little bit more set, right? Skyly Thompson's going to be playing on the wing, Delaney Lushore is probably going to be playing through the middle when she's on the pitch. Did it take you a while to sort that out? Because last year, you know, Skyly Thompson was playing through the middle a lot. You were you were sort of trying to figure that out. Yeah, we were trying to figure it out. We just couldn't piece it together well enough. Um, right now we're in a spot where we're kind of just forced to play certain people. Uh, what you'll see over the next couple of weeks with uh, when, we, when we get Kayla Rendon Bushmaker back, uh, when Abby Gearhart's back, now you've got four people who can play those positions out wide. And Tasia, who's a uh, young freshman who's just overcoming a couple of health things right now, too. But we've got five players who can play two positions. Um, and if all of a sudden you start full health Kayla against full health Eliza on the left wing, or full health Gearhart against full health Scott on the right wing, and it, it becomes problematic as to who's supposed to be playing. So um, we come out of North Dakota only taking two true wingers on that trip because the other ones are all at home hurt, right? Or Abby can't play necessarily until Sunday, and I don't want to risk her. So we haven't seen our full attacking potential yet. I see it in practice. I know what's coming. And so it's exciting to leave a trip like that, scoring four goals, knowing that we don't have our full complement of players up front ready yet. Tough health stuff for you guys, it seems like, over the offseason. When are you sort of expecting more or less to be back at full health? Uh, Mid-September is my guess. So we're still missing a couple players in the back, too, who are still coming back from some injuries, too. But um, one of our things that we've talked about, uh, we, we looked at speed bumps, speed bumps as a team, and we looked at them on every class level, the freshmen, the sophomores, the juniors, the seniors. I'm looking at the whiteboard now, and it says, this is what could potentially hamper us as a class. And something that continued coming up for everybody was injuries, that we're not going to look at injuries and say, because so-and-so is hurt, that's why we're going to not be good this year. That's just not happening. And so everybody has to be pushed to the highest possible standard because everybody has to play at any point in time. You have to be ready for it, which is why you have somebody like a Riley Carolyn, freshman, because Ava 
and Mia Parkos both had food poisoning over the weekend. They can't start the game against NDSU, so you've got to be willing and able to put a freshman in there who, within a couple of minutes, scores a first collegiate goal and actually played extremely well the whole game. So um, I'm glad we had those conversations in preseason to prepare ourselves and that we challenged everybody to be ready instead of saying, you two are the starting outside backs. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine because then we would have run into a crisis over the weekend. But instead, we thrived through it because our players are ready for it. It's great insight. I really think that this is going to be an awesome team to watch this year. Not just saying that because Chris is on with me right now. I really think that that the Montana Grizzlies soccer team has a, a ton of depth. They've got a lot of talent this year. You know they're going to be playing a fun, stylish brand of soccer. So come out and watch these first couple games this weekend. Again, it's Thursday against MSU Billings at 2 p.m., if you're not able to make it out to that one, definitely tune in to ESPN+. Plus. I'll be in the booth doing play-by-play for the Grizz for that one. But definitely make it out for the Sunday game, Ohio State University. Yes, that Ohio State University coming to Missoula to take on the Grizz. It's going to be a huge measuring stick for this team. But I think it's also just going to be a great game. The Grizz are going for program record for attendance, so it's going to be a great atmosphere. Chris, Last thing here for you, just pointed at this weekend. Well, I want to ask you this question twice. If somebody is coming out to the game for the first time this year to watch you, either Thursday or Sunday, from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know a ton about soccer, who might not know everything that's going on on the field, what should they be looking for this weekend? If you just want... Pure excitement. I think the the person who jumps out at you if you don't know what's going on is just Sky Thompson. I mean, just just be entertained by the pure athleticism of what I consider one of the most elite athletes in NCAA Division One soccer. Um, and just expect us to try to keep the ball, which means trying to keep possession, create opportunities, and attack. A big piece for us this year is not sitting back, but being on the front foot for the whole game. So hopefully you're entertained from that standpoint. And as I tell them in the locker room before every single game, We can lose, but every person leaving that stadium is going to say, she gave everything on the field for this team and this university and this community. And I love watching them compete. So hopefully you at least feel that by the end of the game of like, they put it all out there and I love them for that reason. Skyly Thompson, she's not hard to find. Uh, Bright red hair, she'll be running up and down. One of the wings for the Grizz, she'll be getting on the ball a lot, facing up and trying to beat players off the dribble to get into the box for either a shot or a cross. We've watched her development here because Chris has been talking to me about her for years and years at this point. She's from Kalispell, so you've got the local angle. She's a great one to watch. Chris, for somebody who who does know what they're watching, who knows a lot about soccer, what should they have their eyes on for you guys this weekend that's maybe a little more subtle, a little harder to catch? Yeah, I think the the interesting piece that has been implemented into the program since preseason and since last spring is rondoing out of tight situations. So watch Spain play. Spain, if they get out to the wing and they don't like the 1v1 situation that they're in, or let's say they're 1v2, right, so the number's down, they're not going to look to cross the ball and get to the end line. They'll just set up this uh, small possession box, almost create a triangle or a full player box in it. And they'll just play through it and get it out. So they'll exit that situation through their holding midfield. The or they'll go out the other side where they do now have the 1v1. And then they'll attack you. And that came up in our Air Force game a bunch of times. It came up a ton of times over North Dakota where we've become better at escaping high-pressure situations through simple possession. 
And the biggest thing, the biggest word right there is escaping it, right? Because we call it a rondo, which is like a small possession activity, four against two. Like um, you got four players on the outside, two in the middle. But what's different about this rondo is you have to escape it. You have to know when to leave that high-pressure moment. So you'll connect to your winger, you'll connect to your holding midfielder, your attacking midfielder, and then you've got to hit the center back. Now we have to go out the other way. Spain know when to exit that situation and hit you on the other side. That has been a massive piece for us. If you look at the goal that we scored against University of North Dakota, which is on Twitter, it's a ball into uh, Mesa Walters, who's a 10. It's laid off to Sydney, who's an 8. And now it's exited out the other side to Ava, who is all alone to cross the ball in so that we can score. And so we've been heavily working on escaping high-pressure moments through simple possession to get out the other side and then attack somebody. That's pretty in-depth, I know, but I love it. I posted that goal on Twitter. I don't know whether I said this on Twitter, but that was my instant thought from watching that great highlight. Aside from the great ball from Ava Samuelson to Delaney Lou Shore at the back post, what's really impressive about that clip is both Mesa Walters and Sidney Haustein, your two more advanced central midfielders, being able to receive the ball in a tight spot under pressure and being able to just shuffle it on to somebody who's in a better position. I thought that was really encouraging. What Chris is talking about here, it sounds kind of simple on the field it's really not simple at all because you have to have the touch and you have to have the speed of thought if your touch is loose or if you you don't know what the right pass is before the ball gets to you suddenly you're losing the ball in a tough spot so it's really great to watch when it comes off Chris Chitovitsky head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team joining us as he does periodically here on soccer and snow and smoke grateful as always to Chris for his insight, for his time, for his enthusiasm, for talking about this. Again, if you didn't catch our ticket giveaway earlier in the show, text us 406-888-1029 if you want to win a pair of Grizz soccer tickets to this Sunday's game against Ohio State. Probably one of the biggest major conference opponents the Grizz have ever played. It's going to be a packed house. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Just text me soccer to 406-888-1029 if you'd like a pair of tickets we'll get those for you soccer and snow and smoke is brought to you as always by zootown sports cards 2100 stevens avenue in the stevens center great collection of sports cards and memorabilia thanks to zootown sports cards thanks as well to chris chitovitsky chris man it's great catching up with you as always Like I said, I really appreciate the insight, how in-depth you're willing to go on this, because I love talking about this, and I'm glad you do too. Good luck this weekend, man, but thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Happy to be here, and if I would give one more shout-out, I would say uh, there's already talk within the marketing department and ticketing that we might run out of space there. I think it's important to get there early and get in early, because... The, the issue with our facility right now is you don't know what max capacity is. And if we're all of a sudden running out of room on the sidelines, they will close the gates, which I know would upset people. But that's why I'm saying get there early and get in early because I think it's going to be a massive crowd on Sunday. You heard it straight from the man himself, Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team. Grizz soccer opening their home schedule this weekend. MSU Billings on Thursday and then the big one, Ohio State, on Sunday. Get there early, get a seat, enjoy the game. For Chris Chitovitsky, I'm Andrew Houghton. This has been Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Thanks for listening.